Are you thinking about getting into Dungeons & Dragons? Maybe you're looking to expand your horizons as a DM or a player. If that's the case, then it's time for you to check out The Dungeon Cast, the best D&D podcast out there that helps you passively learn all about the game just by listening. Join co-hosts Will and Brian as they break down the lore of a rich multiverse 50 years in the making in a light-hearted and beginner-friendly way. They cover everything from character creation options to tips for dungeon masters. There's something for everyone, no matter how long you've been playing TTRPGs. Find The Dungeon Cast anywhere you get podcasts or on YouTube. This episode of Homestead on the Corner was brought to you by our supporters on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show, then please go to patreon.com slash homesteadcorner. For as little as $1 a month, you get early access to all new episodes, a special patron-only podcast, and exclusive behind-the-scenes content. Good morning, everyone. This is Trevor Van Winkle, and you're listening to Homestead on the Corner. On pretty much every trip I've ever been on, reaching the halfway point has always been a noteworthy moment. Not because anything particularly special happens, though that's sometimes the case. No, it's because, after whatever travels and trials I've gone through to get there, hiking through mountains or valleys, or just enduring a long, uncomfortable journey by car or plane, that halfway point is the furthest I'll be from where I started. Even if the journey will continue to carry me further away from my point of origin, that's the furthest from home I'll be, temporally. However many days of travel lay behind, it's now the same as the number of days that lay ahead. Whether or not I'm physically moving back towards home at that point is immaterial. The march of my journey through time now bends homewards. It's often at that moment that I realize how much I still want to do wherever I am. There's a keen sense of time running out after that point, as the days already gone seem slow, wasteful, and meandering by comparison. I dive deeper, explore more fully, and appreciate more truly whatever place I'm in. Even though the initial rush of discovery is gone, I drink in everything around me, even the parts of it that I've grown accustomed to. There's a simple reason for this. I know that wherever I've ended up on that journey, there's a good chance I will never come that way again. In my experience and reading, it seems like this is also true of story structure. The halfway point represents not only the middle of your narrative, but the point where the protagonist is farthest into the extraordinary world of Act 2. They may still be progressing further into the dark and chaotic realm physically, but their personal journey, their temporal journey, is starting to turn the corner back towards home. By the midpoint of Frodo's journey in The Lord of the Rings, he has gained the critical understanding that this quest might cost him his life, and has accepted that risk. At the midpoint of Back to the Future, Marty gains the knowledge he needs to prevent being erased from history and getting… well, back to the future. In episode 31 of the podcast Wolf 359, the structure of the show drastically changes with the introduction of new characters who directly represent the show's antagonists and set the stage for a final showdown. Even with only these three examples, you can see how the midpoint and what it accomplishes is unique to each of these stories. Sometimes the midpoint is a personal decision, sometimes it's a revelation, and sometimes it's a change to the story world itself. But whatever it is, it raises the stakes of the narrative to their highest point yet. Whatever revelations or reversals come before or after that point will help define what the story's midpoint needs to do, 
but there should be some kind of definitive shift approximately halfway through your story that elevates the primary conflict to a new level. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, one quick clarification before we get into the weeds on this. Does your midpoint moment have to come at the exact mathematical center point of your book, story, or script? No, of course not. It's the functional center of your plot, the place that feels like the midpoint to the reader. It's usually fairly close to the mathematical center, and it's best to try and place it in the approximate midpoint of your second act, but it's by no means a mathematical exact requirement. Within my own writing, the midpoint often comes closer to the three-quarters or five-eighths mark, but I too tend to write very long first acts because of the genres I write in. Or in the case of my first novel, I write three books worth of first act. This is sometimes necessitated by the amount of setup and world-building your particular story needs, but it does run the risk of losing your reader if the stakes stay at the same level for too long after the first threshold crossing. On the other hand, placing it too early runs the opposite risk, making the plot seem rushed in the first half with too little breathing room between big, dramatic moments. As usual, your story will tell you what kind of pacing it needs, and getting the midpoint to feel right is usually a matter of fixing it in the second or third draft. In my experience, the best way to place your midpoint is to look at the structure of your revelations and reversals objectively. As I said in the last episode, revelations and reversals should increase in intensity and frequency throughout the story, with the majority occurring in the second half of Act 2. Finding where your story's major reveals start to happen is often the key to designing the midpoint and finding the right place for it. Okay, with that out of the way, let's talk about the different ways to use your midpoint moment, and how to pick the best strategy for your story. One of the most common types of midpoints is a false victory a moment when the protagonist or protagonists seemingly gain what they wanted at the start of the narrative. However, having gained what they set out to find, the victory somehow feels hollow and unearned to both the audience and the characters. In other words, they've gained their material want, but they have not achieved their internal need. For instance, in The Avengers, the heroes are all assembled and Loki has been captured at the midpoint. It seems like they've all but won but the characters are still far from a cohesive team and the Tesseract is still out there just waiting to be unleashed. The journey, it seems, is only just beginning. This kind of midpoint turn is common due to the inverse relation between the midpoint and what Blake Snyder calls the all-is-lost moment in Save the Cat. In most stories, the crisis just before the final climax is the lowest point for the characters, where they seem to have absolutely no chance of winning. Then, their allies rally, the coach gives an inspiring speech, they rush to the airport to confess their true love, etc, etc, etc. But there's a pattern between these moments. Generally, if you have an up midpoint, you typically have a down crisis moment, and then an up climax and ending. That isn't a hard fast rule, but it's generally a best practice unless you have a compelling story reason to break convention. Keep in mind, though, that we've been reading and watching stories with this pattern since we were old enough to understand them, and making your midpoint and crisis moments too obvious telegraphs the ending. 
This brings us to the second most common type of midpoint, the false defeat, where at the halfway mark the protagonist fails to get what they want and doesn't have what they need either. In fact, they're usually worse off than when they started. In The Lord of the Rings, Frodo is captured by Faramir at the midpoint, and it seems like he will try and take the ring just like his brother Boromir did. In the original Star Wars, Luke, Han, Chewie, and Obi-Wan arrive in the Alderaan system only to find the planet is gone and the Death Star is waiting to capture them. In Mad Max Fury Road, where the midpoint is literally the furthest geographic and thematic place from the start, the team of fugitives arrives at their destination only to discover that the paradise they were looking for was destroyed years ago. These examples, however, all still have an upending, to one degree or another, and just prove the flexibility of the pattern. The seeming defeat of Frodo's capture leads to an all-is-lost moment when he gives in to the temptation of the ring, another defeat, before a climax where he loses the ring and his finger to Gollum, leading to its eventual destruction. Tolkien had a remarkable ability for holding the strength and bravery of ordinary people in tension with their greed and fallibility, and this is reflected in the very plot structure of his magnum opus, subverting our expectations at the crisis moment by having the hero fail to overcome temptation, but allowing fate to intervene in a way that felt earned and allowed the story one more delightful twist. There are many other types of midpoints, along with infinite variations on the false victory or defeat type. One of the most common variations is the revelation or reversal midpoint. This is where a key piece of plot information or knowledge is gained by the protagonist, allowing them to pursue their want more fully. This is an up midpoint, like the false victory, giving the protagonist the tools they need to obtain their want. These kind of midpoints are common stories that are more focused on plot and external want than character growth, though that's not always the case. The midpoint of Back to the Future is definitely an example of this, as is the map room scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark, when Indy finally discovers the location of the Well of Souls. It's also fairly common in heist films, where the team is finally assembled just prior to the midpoint and their leader lays out the plan before the robbery begins. Another common midpoint is what I like to call the paradigm shift. This kind of midpoint is usually centered around a major shift in the story world and cast of characters that increases the danger and raises the stakes for the protagonist or protagonists. The Wolf 359 example from earlier is a good example of this kind of change, as is the midpoint of Les Miserables, as the story jumps forward several years and introduces a new group of supporting characters in the midst of the June Rebellion, expanding the scope and scale of the narrative from an individual journey towards personal freedom to one concerned with the freedom and liberty of an entire nation. This kind of midpoint is more often found in longer, more complex works, such as epics and long-format series with more than three acts, and often falls at the intersection between two of the middle acts as the story transitions to a new part of the extraordinary world. Now, there are many more variations on these general types, as well as many other options for your midpoint, all of which depend on the type of story you're telling and the narrative rhythm and pattern you've already established. But however you choose to write your midpoint, it should be treated as a central dramatic moment of your story alongside the inciting incident, crisis, and climax. The primary reason for this is pacing. It's easy to get lost in the quagmire of the second act without anchor points for your plot. By placing a major dramatic beat in the center of act two, you can more effectively pace the introduction to your extraordinary world in the first half and the gradual climb towards the climax in the second.
But what should your midpoint do for your story? Is it actually important, or is it just a coincidence that most stories have this kind of major moment halfway through? I don't think it's a coincidence. As with all parts of good story structure, it is, in some ways, a reflection of both how stories have been written in the past, and the inherent structure of our lived experiences. It's a bit of a chicken-and-the-egg question, and one that applies to pretty much all storytelling techniques. Though we obviously don't have written copies of the very first stories ever told, largely because we as humans have, so far as we know, been telling stories since before the invention of written language, the oldest myths and epics we do have reflect many of the same structures we see in modern storytelling. Joseph Campbell's The Hero with a Thousand Faces was meant as a scholarly analysis of ancient myth and legend, and certainly not written as a creative manual. Yet, it directly informed George Lucas's Star Wars saga and reshaped the way filmmakers, and eventually all creative writers, tell stories. Sure, it could be argued that this form of storytelling has become caught in a positive feedback loop, with new writers now learning from creators who learn from the hero's journey as biblical truth, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. The reason this model, and the ancient tales that it was derived from, endured for so long is that they appealed to some fundamental need in people's psyche, to see a person much like themselves face a major disruption, meet allies, travel into the unknown to confront their problem, face setbacks, come close to losing, and then find the solution in a final, decisive way. Or the opposite. We want to go through the catharsis of seeing someone make a fundamental mistake, face the consequences, try to make right, and ultimately fail in a way that is emotionally satisfying and makes sense to their character. These structures emerge from our own collective, cultural consciousness. What works becomes popular with readers and audience members, inspires the next generation of storytellers, and then gradually changes with society. However, the central form of storytelling — disruption, struggle, conflict, adaptation, growth, and restoration — are largely built into our experience of living in a physically limited body in a limited, temporal frame of reference. Whether our struggles to improve our situation and right wrongs come in the form of hunting and gathering in a hostile world, or taking on a job in a new and unfamiliar city, the journey from where we are to where we want to be follows many of the same structures as a well-told story, just over a bit of a longer period of time and with a lot more uncertainty in the outcome. Seeing these same struggles play out in a carefully crafted and clearly designed narrative gives us understanding of our challenges through a perspective greater than our own. It takes us out of the moment-to-moment -moment mire of life and shows us that change, growth, success, and recovery are all possible, and warns us of the pitfalls and dangers along that journey. So why is the midpoint so important to this structure, then? Well, it's like I said at the start. When we face that moment in our own lives, we know we've rounded a corner in our journey between leaving home and returning to it. Whether it's physically or spiritually the farthest place from where we were at the start, it's the best place to plant our feet and begin to push back. It's where we can switch from reaction to positive action, knowing, or at least thinking we know, what we need to do to achieve our goal. In Joseph Campbell's The Hero with a Thousand Faces, his model of the hero's journey is circular. Out of the ordinary, into the extraordinary, and then, at the farthest point from home, descending into the deepest, darkest realm of the unfamiliar and unknown. Quote, when he arrives at the nadir of the mythological round, he undergoes a supreme ordeal and gains his reward. End quote. This reward takes many forms in myth, as does the midpoint in most stories, referred to by Campbell as quote, sacred marriage, father atonement, apotheosis, or elixir theft. End quote. 
While a lot of the terms he used are outdated and not directly helpful to most writers, the central idea of this moment at the midpoint was that the protagonist gains something that gives them the ability to fix the problem created by the inciting incident. Now, whether that's a physical tool or weapon that will enable them to defeat the antagonist, a bit of information that will help them solve the mystery, or just a moment of self-revelation that finally puts them on the right path, they have the ability now to solve their problem. They just don't know how to use it yet. For the protagonist, getting to this point was largely a matter of finding out what they needed. From here on out, the story is about figuring out what to do with that information. From this point forward, failure to fulfill their internal need would be even more tragic than at the start, because we as the audience can sense how close they were before they fell. For instance, in the play King Lear, the eponymous king divides his kingdom between two of his daughters because they were willing to lie and flatter him, while casting out his youngest daughter because she was honest and spoke plainly. Within the next act, Lear is abused and berated by his dishonest daughters and retreats onto the heath in the middle of a rainstorm, ranting and raving before he meets Edgar, another character who has been betrayed and cast out by his family and is pretending to be mad in order to escape. With his help, Lear soon realizes he has neglected his duty as king, failing to care for his subjects by giving his power away to corrupt flatterers. This comes at the end of the second of five acts, approximately the midpoint of the play and the nadir of Lear's personal journey. He finally sees clearly that this is all his fault, and knows what he has to do in order to redeem himself, just not how. The tragedy of the play, however, is that it's too little too late, and he loses everything in one of the most gut-wrenching of Shakespeare's tragic endings, largely because of how close he was to making things right. But in a non-tragic story arc, the midpoint is where the protagonist acquires the resources and or knowledge they need to win, and begin to move towards success. At this point, the forces of antagonism gather all their strength to oppose the protagonist, knowing that they're closer than ever to overcoming them and achieving their personal need. This, again, is just good storytelling. When we're close to our own goals, it often feels like the toughest going because of how much we have to lose at that point. Having braved the uncertainty and strangeness of the extraordinary world to gain the midpoint's boon, the protagonist now faces the prospect of losing everything they've worked towards should they fail. This is why it's often said that the stakes are raised at the midpoint. In many ways, the protagonist enters the extraordinary world with nothing to lose. They've left home, possessions, and most of their interpersonal connections behind, and are now a stranger and alien in an unknown land. But after the midpoint, they've gained something that gives them power in the extraordinary realm. And there's a very good chance they'll lose it if they're not careful. That's why the midpoint is so vital to your story. Like the inciting incident and the threshold crossing, the midpoint turn gives your story energy and momentum going into the homestretch. Now, whether your midpoint is subtle or bombastic, a false victory or a false defeat, revelation or reversal, it is fuel for the storytelling engine as conflict continues to rise all the way to the breaking point. But that is a lesson for another day. Thank you for listening to this episode of Homestead on the Corner. Today's midpoint musings were written and produced by Trevor Van Winkle and featured music from Lauren Baker. 
Want to see me use these ideas in a real-life story? Our new fiction podcast, The Sheridan Tapes, is now available on all podcasting platforms. To find out where to listen to it, head over to thesheridantapes.com for show links and more info. In the meantime, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Trevor underscore VW for updates on both of our shows. And check out patreon.com slash homesteadcorner if you want to support our little production team. Next episode, the darkness closes in, and we talk about how and why to bring your protagonist to their lowest point in the moments before the climax. New episodes of this podcast are released every Wednesday at 2pm Pacific Standard Time, so be sure to subscribe so you don't miss it. Well, that's about all for now. From the homestead in the corner, have a great day and keep riding. Hello, dear stranger. I'd like to introduce you to something new, or perhaps something very, very old. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine is a horror fantasy medical mystery following the titular monk turned traveling medical investigator. Follow Radolf as he navigates a nightmare world in which viruses are gods, and the human race are not their favored children. Steeped in history and an aesthetic that can only be described as a combination of occult academia and laboratory Judaica, the heresies of Radolf Burntwine have been described as Umberto Eco meets H.P. Lovecraft. For more information, check out the Patreon at thorb.info. But take care, dear stranger, for some truths are best left unknown.